everyone and welcome to this episode of our podcast mini-series Getting to Better Together, which is sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership at the University of the Sunshine Coast and supported by Noosa Radio FM 101.3. I'm your host, Richard Borden. Before proceeding any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gabi Gabi people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I was recently asked what social entrepreneurship had to do with international development. We are not just the Centre for International Development, but we want to make sure that people understand that our view of international development very much focuses on social entrepreneurship, not just entrepreneurship, and leadership. And the three are obviously all interconnected. And from time to time, we have the privilege of meeting someone who exemplifies all three of those. And I'm delighted to welcome this morning Martha Raka as my guest. Martha is from Papua New Guinea and she did a course that was run back in 2018 uh, to do with social entrepreneurship. And she has been immensely successful in taking those ideas back to her communities in Papua New Guinea and amplifying and accelerating the role uh, of development through social entrepreneurship, particularly with small agricultural producers. I'm going to let Martha talk about herself, introduce herself, and really let her talk about what she stands for and what she's doing. Welcome, Martha. Thank you, Richard. Wow, what a privilege to come back here. Um, my old, well, well, That's where I learned the loops of social enterprising. Um, I went back um, after spending a few months in Australia in 2018 at the University of Sunshine Coast. I went back and I started working with, I started already started a company called Sarah J Pacific. We started working with, uh, it's, it's a social enterprise, uh, and we build cooperative enterprises or society. It's commonly known in Papua New Guinea as cooperative societies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with uh, the smallholder farmers who cannot help themselves become better farmers. Uh, we build the capacity to use better production practices, facilitate investment in farm productivity and infrastructures. Uh, we improve the quality of existing services and establish new ones to increase investment. It was a small idea that it all started here uh, with, at the whole Innovation Center. Uh, when I went back, I um, started with a, a community that I knew very well. It was actually my tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when we started this whole thing. And I never thought that um, a small idea would be a demanding idea in the community. So we based our idea on creating ward cooperatives. That's how our legislative system works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bottom-up process that uh, we wanted to start. Our government is, is more focused on <laughs> top-down. Right. So we decided that I think the more impact that we'll do is on the world settings and coming up. Um, we approached a ward councillor and he's happy. He said, yes, come, let's let's try it out. It's something new. It's a new new model. So let's see how it goes. So I explained the role of forming cooperative societies. Uh, cooperative societies existed in PNG for some time, back even well before independence in 1975. And there were case studies of successful organization that started co- as a cooperative societies into a more corporate enterprise. Uh, but it's pretty much controlled by the government. The risk is it's, it's, a, it's controlled by the government and the government of the day has, has a say on it. Um, and the government has uh, dismantled the system in 2000 or 2022, 2000 or 2002, I can't remember what year it is. And then it started again after several years. It started again. The Department of Trade, Commerce and Industry is pretty much in, t- in charge of um, cooperative societies. 
but it's a really good model that we use. We, I'd like to call it a cooperative model where we gather all the small older farmers together, one interest in, in agriculture especially, and um, we worked with the farmers in the Kako Valley chain um, where it's already, the pro- product is already, uh, the trees already existed in the local areas. And then that's how we, you know, we, bought a, we, we build ecosystems for the cooperatives. We work with the, with the local community. They do the election, they elect their own members. We just participate in, in the election and we help them write reports. We help them um, fill up the forms of registration. We help them register their, their organization. We help them, they pay a little bit of fees, like shares holding. And we help them open bank accounts for the cooperative, for the farmers as well. And they put their fees in there and that become, and we create partnership. Right. So they partner with us, we partner with them, and we cost out the project. If, it, if the project, depending on the logistical, uh, logistic is where the main, main cost is. They have the crop, they have the labor, they have the land. Um, what they need is support. Mm-hmm. Just financial support or support of an organization who has the know-how uh, to improve, you know, the the capacity or the ability to produce in a, on a commercial level, and um, and then we give them a cost. Say, okay, if your project is about one million, you have thirty percent of it, and then we will put thirty seventy uh, percent and build this. Usually, they don't have the kind of money. No. So what we do is we fundraise with them, mm-hmm. and we give them a little bit of funding, and then we invest into production so that we can be able to generate an income. So it, it becomes like an agriculture loan with no interest at all, as long as we have a contract that ties us down together. Our contract is uh, just about five years, especially depends on what kind of crop they work with. We work with the cocoa value chain. Usually it takes about, with the new hybrid that they're planting, it takes about two and a half years for maturity. So that gives us time for two and a half years is for training. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way, way is, that's where the biggest budget is. And then we continue to train them so that when there's maturity of the cocoa pots, that's when they go into production. Meanwhile, while we're waiting for the seedlings and trees which we supply, we build the nurseries. We refurbish the dryers, the cocoa dryers. It depends on funding. If there's, you know, funding to actually run the old project, it comes in phases, in different uh, phases. And otherwise, if there's no funding, it stops somewhere and we go out, come back to the drawing board and start knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah. Whoever that wants to support us in little layers, like we'd like to digitize the whole um, old system. Right now, there is no system. In, we have a system, very big systematic problem. That's how a lot of there's loopholes. And um, developments like this don't transpire, don't don't become a reality. So we'd like to digitize the system by um, making sure all our farmers are bankable, have cashless payment, and so we can reduce risk of security risk. Um, we'd like to digitize the system by having all the agriculture information on on mobile phones, so that um, the reason why we we would like to digitize the system because government de- departments are usually under resourced. Don't get enough funding support from the government to actually send out field offices to work with the farmers. And one reason is because some many areas are remote, and these uh, extension offices cannot reach those areas. Um, remote in a sense that it's an island that well, our first operation was an, on an island where I knew knew very well because I come from that island, and the logistical cost is mm-hmm. is very big. But there is potential of growth. If we had the whole island was commercialized, like if they have an economic power to, to produce the bags, then we will bring the vessel in and 
Otherwise, it's just vessel runs on someone else's schedule on, on the other side. Uh, it's a government schedule. So whenever the farmers have the chance to catch the vessel, they send the produce. But they usually produce just enough for their pocket to, to buy the basic needs. And, and then they go back again and start farm the land again. It's, it's very challenging for them. So bring this model to them. They're happy. They want to they wanna see change. They want to see uh, proofing iron. They've been living in shake of roofs for, for boost metro roof for, for, for some time since independence they want to see clean water they want to see a good road they want to see you know lights solar street lights that well, we can only do solar street lights we can do <laughs> electricity these are, these are the things they want to see these are the things that we ask them what what actually do you want and this what they said we want to do this and i said yes of course you can do that work with me let's work in your farm and you can produce that money we will help you to understand how you can save and budget your money training first part of a budget will be just training richard i'm just gonna keep going on but you gotta interrupt me somewhere <laughs> yeah. i'm interested in what, what drew you into this in the first place What's your background? okay my background is uh my strengths are in in finance in business management mm -hmm. that's that is where my strength is so how i got this got to come down here i um i saw an advertisement with australian howards on 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 social media and i applied I, there's a possibility of uh, Australian government sponsoring entrepreneurs to go down and study entrepreneurship. And this is something I've been really keen on doing because I had plans of starting a business and not just continue to work. I've been working in mining companies for many years. Oh, really? Mm. Yep. Um, up in the in the Southern Islands, uh, in Morobay itself, in Western Province. Wow. And um, basically, I work as a camp administrator. I look after the camp. Mm -hmm. The bug stops at me. <laughs> I have a lot of unhappy people. They turn up, ah, oh, my bed is broken. Oh, water is, I don't have hot water. Can you change? This is where I solve problem. I have to solve problem. <laughs> Otherwise, my supervisor will say, you sure you know you know what you're doing? Otherwise, I don't need you, you know? Yeah. So that's how I learned how to solve problem. So when I, um, while I was still working, I invested a bit. I said, okay, I can't work, I can't work forever. I have to do something for sustainability. In the event that the mining company said, all right, you're getting hold now. We don't need your service. <laughs> <laughs> so I started a, I started the cacao business. I started, I was still at work and I gave some money to my relatives. Go home, buy those bags and bring them back. And um, they did that, but they didn't do it very well. And when I, and uh, the result wasn't good. It wasn't good. So when I applied for this, I got angry because it didn't turn out well. And then I applied for this, um, this scholarship and I got in. So when I came down, I learned, I was with, in Tammy's class and Bill was there as well. And I learned how to be a good manager. So I went back and I said, okay, I was a bad manager back then. Really? You thought you were? Yeah, because I, I, I gave, you know, I put all my eggs in one basket. Okay. And I started to blame my relatives for, for not producing the result I wanted. <laughs> and I was a bad manager then. I came to here, I learned something. I went back and I said, sorry, I'm a bad manager. Now, now I am a good manager. <laughs> I'm going to do it again, but I'll pivot. I'll do it better this time because I learned how to do that. You gotta fail somewhere. This is what I learned here. And your failure is your lessons learned. Get up again and pivot and do it properly. So when I pivoted, I started to do a lot of research, learning what I learned from here. And I went back and then that's it. I started developing ideas, continuously talking to Bill and, and then my network of friends and family and my extended network as well. And I started developing this business model. So it was like a intermediary business model. It's like a like a consultant. Mm -hmm. I provide service to the cooperative. I I say I, I have your solution. Right. Cooperative societies. I have your solution right here. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything yeah. particular about Papua New Guinean society that enables it to do cooperatives better than a lot of places around? I mean, in many countries, uh, from my experiences, 
cooperatives fail after a few years, either because they become commercialized and therefore miss mm. the point of being a cooperative, or because people actually don't have a commitment to society. They're really mm. individuals, mm. and they become individualistic entrepreneurs yeah. rather than social because entrepreneurs. Well, one good advantage of working as cooperatives in PNG is people work together. Yeah. Yeah, they come together, especially in agriculture, in, in mostly in the rural areas mm-hmm. where there is no government presence and working together. They've been working together for many years. They they would um, go and work on someone la- someone's land. He will ask, hey, come work with me. Let's clear this land out. I'm going to plant my vegetables. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's like paid forward kind of, right. the system they use. So they're used to working together, supporting each other, despite mm-hmm. not, not being supported by anyone. Mm. especially the government. So it's already in the system. So when we went with the idea, said this is going to be like a business kind of idea. And they've had a lot of talks about small, medium enterprise where the government has really wanted to, you know, roll it out. Right. I can tell you, government only do policies. They have, they don't have the know-how to do it. So they, they talk about it, they write it, you know, but <laughs> to implement it, who's going to implement it? Mm. So here I am. <laughs> so I said, let's look at it more like a business. You're going to own a business working together as like you, you used to do before. You have the land, you have the labor, you can work on your farm. You can you can have cacao here, you can have coconut here, you can have uh, coffee here. You can do that. They're doing it overseas, you can do it here. Yeah. So that, that's one unique thing about us because we've been hunters and gatherers back in, the, back in those days and that we are still doing it now, like working together as a group. So it, it was easy. It was easy for me to go and talk mm. to them about mm. this. But the challenging bit is... I'm a woman, and it's a patriarchal society. Right. Man owns the land, man makes the decision. Uh-huh. But one good thing about it, me being a woman is because of my mother's status. Mom, my mother is um, she's a well-known woman. Her father is more like a chief in, in the clan. Okay. So she has taken on the responsibility of look out, looking after extended family. Uh-huh. And it's always in the system. Like everyone, most, most people, most societies do that. Extended. We grew up with extended family. So it was easy for me. And I am the, I'm the eldest of um, my family. My mom comes from a very big family. She has a father. She has two fathers, one mother and two fathers, kind of like oh. a, a father that gave right. birth to her, right. left her, and a mother remarried. A mother remarried and then, you know, got another. So she, she comes from two families. And okay. her siblings are, her first her biological siblings are almost nine, and her adopted siblings are also another nine people. So imagine that's extended family. Imagine <laughs> growing up with this extended family. Uh, so it was easy for me to go back to this family and say, hey, let's take, get together and do a business, but in a cooperative um, model. So that's how it all started. So like we continue. Like I, I, I didn't want to you know, continue the, what my mother was doing, like relatives come and you know, give them the fish. I want to teach them how to fish. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So that's how, how it started. And it, the same principle applies in different societies. So that's how I say serving a neglected community in PNG is demanding. Are small producers under threat, again, the way they are in many other places in the world, that large corporations come in and take them over? I take palm oil as, a, as an example where I was involved many years ago with a project in Papua New Guinea um, where exactly that was happening. So the small producers were being scrubbed out by the large corporations. Yeah, this is that's a sad story. Um, a lot of um, small farmers are illiterate, and they don't understand business models. They don't understand how the the system works. So a lot, a lot of large corporates take take advantage of of that and and manipulate them. They use um what they call the middleman. Uh, usually, it's one of the board members 
to manipulate the system, manipulate yeah. um, the small cooperatives where they work like a like a labor to the cooperatives, uh, mm-hmm. to the corporate body. We went in is we flipped the system around. We flipped the model around. We are like we. I, I tell I tell the cooperative that I tell the small farmers that you are my employer. Mm-hmm. You employ me. I work for you. You don't work for me. You, you've been working for seasonal buyers. You've been working for other people. This time I'm gonna work for you. I'm going to give you the service. I'm going to provide the service. My aim is for you to increase your production, but do it properly. We'll, we'll base it on quality mm-hmm. and not quantity so that we can get the premium price yeah. so that you are able to pay me. So they understood that system. Like, I'm mm. working for you. Mm. They're like, wow, finally someone is working for us. So, um, so we, you're an entrepreneur we, for entrepreneurs. Sorry? You're an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I kind of like create entrepreneurs again. Right. So, so we, with our model, said, so we have this cooperative society here, cooperative model here. From there, you farmers sell your produce to the cooperative at Farmgate. Cooperative buys it and worries about the market. There is market. They, they, they would ask me, but we don't have the market. I said, no, you have the market. We don't have the produce. Let's go into production now to meet that market demand oh so that's what it's like there is market for everything especially in food you'll never go wrong with it in the food industry mm-hmm. you'll never go wrong with it so this is part of mind changing for them so they're like okay so let's do it this way and then we have another challenge is you know other people would come in and say no this woman is not telling the truth she's gonna lie to you and get all your money and da 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 but I'm being transparent like I've, I've invested time and money and right. effort into it I don't just go and talk to them and despair I go and talk to them and I said there you go these are your tools. These are your resources. Let's work on it. So, like, I have evidence. So, they're like, no, no, no. We're going to work with them. We're going to work with them. And then you spread and there's other <laughs> neighboring societies would come and say, can you also help us? Yes, I would love to help you. But I need the money to help you, you know. But this is the idea. Go back and talk to your government. Go back and talk to your ward councillor so that you can go, go up to the government and say, all right. You have this some million that you get every year. Push it back here. Well, you're really in the business of worldview change uh, that you're unlike classical extension in agriculture, which of course is just the extension of knowledge from a scientist out Mm. to a farmer with -hmm. the assumption the farmer knows nothing, Mm -hmm. which is a shocking assumption. Um, Mm -hmm. You're making two different assumptions. One is that they already do know Mm -hmm. uh, because they've been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are things they don't know, obviously like value chains, markets, access, credit and so on. Uh, But they are, they're knowledgeable people and you respect them, um, which is a really important part of social entrepreneurship. I understand. But more importantly, you're giving them the worldview that they are valued. So it's not that they create value. They are valuable people. Exactly. Um, They're they're not just subsistence farmers who are converting into some form of commercial activity. No, no. But they're actually people who are being recognized as valued members of society. Exactly. And I find that very exciting. Exactly. I, I tell them, without you, there's no food in the world. That's yeah. right. You make it or you break it. And I work with you to make it happen. So you are very valuable in the system. I call them my kings and queens. Okay. Yeah. And I told them, I'm going to print a shirt with my farmers and my kings and queens. Just to give them that ownership, give them that pride in them. Mm. So that, you know, because they've been overlooked for since independence. They've been look, uh, looked at as, we also substance farmers in, in PNG. That's our background. That's how we grew up. That's how we were with our parents, working in the working the land, working in the plantation, getting that little bit of money, paying school for my ma- mom and my dad. You know, that's how they grew up. And now they've come to the city to work for someone else so that they can be able to pay for my tuition fees. Right. But I don't want that to continue to happen back in the rural areas. But I, I want them to be emplo- employees themselves in their own company 
and pay for whatever they want. They can do that. I said, we can, your financial freedom is right here. It's all about financial freedom. We don't just um, sit and wait for someone else, wait for the government, because we're going to wait for another. We're going to turn 47 in September. The country is going to turn 47 in September. Mm-hmm. You don't want to wait for another 47, do you? <laughs> we got to get up and do something. And once we do something now, we can go to the government and say, this is our share here. Can you put a little bit on top and let's build this infrastructure together or let's build a, bring that boat here or let's bring that airplane here, you know? So yeah. in your vision, where is Papua New Guinea going to be in 20 years' time? Okay. In, um, with this business model, my plan is to build in, I didn't, it wasn't 20, it was 50. I'll be gone by then, is to have 1 million women farmers in the Cacao Valley chain. Wow. Yeah. I can tell you now, I have about 104 existing, and I'll have 1,104 women farmers, yeah. including the yes, including the ones in, in the civic province. Wow. Yes. So I'm getting there. I'm working on it. It was like uh, the value proposition in it is um, with the cooperative is... I can start you off with a little bit of fun, kickstart you, just small seed capital, mm-hmm. kickstart you. And for the women farmers, you go into um, running your own SME, your, your small, medium enterprise, by coming to your cooperative and asking them for a loan, agriculture loan. Mm-hmm. And um, you get a little bit of money and you, your heart break. I don't want you to come to town and spend it on some foreigner stuff, on some other people's shop. Bring that shop back home, yeah. be a baker there, yeah. be a hairdresser there, be a whatever there, yeah. a wholesale company or a retail shop, bring it back home. So your money circulates within your, that's that's what excites, excites them. Yes, rather than, you know, you're sweating your guts in a big sun just to get that little bit of money and you come to town and you give it to a Chinese man, you give it to another people and the directors of the company are relaxing, sipping coffee somewhere and you're the one working for them. So let's bring Lay City home, or let's bring Port Mosby home. Bring the shops there, and you can actually do it. So that that's one, uh, probably I'll call it like a minimal value proposition for them. So that <laughs> excites them, like, yes, <laughs> let's do this, yeah. So I'm planning, I'm looking at um, 50 years for the business, like create 1 million women in, in cooperatives. But I tell you, if the government has actually invested into this kind of program that we're running, I would say tier two, because tier one is... The bilateral talks they have with other countries and talk about funding. Yeah, it comes into the department and we don't see it. But tier two, and tier two is people like me working with the farmers. Come invest in that platform where it goes directly to the farmers. So the whole idea about the business model that we're setting up, the company called Sergio Pacific is is just is an intermediary model that um, connects the farmers to the market. But the farmers have an organization or maybe like a foundation that they, everyone comes together, mm-hmm. all the cooperatives come together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the network, that, that is where the body is that is going to ask for funding to support them. We only, Sergio Patrick is only providing the, the solution that we have um, for the, for, to work with the farmers. Our cooperative solution is not only into production and product um, profitability, but it's also in environment and environmental enabling environment uh, like building um, a nursery to cater for 20,000 seedling building a storage area so that where produce can go in and we also have stakeholder engagement we get the board we with the board we're going to meet the exporter companies or we go and meet the government department whoever whoever they are in charge of the what kind of value chain we're using the meetings you know we so that cooperatives are able to speak directly to those to right. those people to those agents uh, we also have a strategic engagement. It's just us. 
bringing in expertise, bringing in people in the in the agriculture value chain, come come in and look at specific areas and transferring the knowledge, become like a consultant. Right. Yeah. And uh, we also have um, financial inclusion where we have all our farmers um, bankable. We have we bring in the agent bank financial institution, come and work with them. Uh, we collect data for the farmers so that we can build a bridge to the to the to the financial institution where farmers can come and talk to them about the needs of getting a loan to expand their farm. We also have another solution, we like to call it, is a market linkage, how we connect the farmers to the produce. It's the value chain, the supply chain in it. How do we reduce prices by negotiating with the players right. along the way? Yeah, so um, these are the services that we provide for them. And, and then we build like a, a committee within the, the society itself, within the people, so they do most of the work. We only more like a mentor to them or like coach them along the way, but they do they do the nitty-gritty. They are the one that does the actual work. So we have a committee. We have three different, four different committees in law and order committee. It's all within the society itself. We have the community development committee. We have the social committee and we have the products and committee, a project committee. So these are the committees that work in these areas. So like they can... Um, be able to work within their own community, talk to churches, you know, create sports, um, involve in sporting activities, talk, say, hey, we want, can you, can you facilitate a, a talk on uh, health issues? So we bring these people on board. We bring the health experts to come and talk to them about health issues, clean water and sanitation, you know, all this. So we have these communities within their own program. So in different cooperatives that we build, we have these communities that work together. And we have the Law and Order Committee, obviously, that it, it's a it's a must. It's number one that they work with. And then we have this um, uh, steering committee, like uh, the ward councillor becomes like a mouthpiece to the government. Mm-hmm. So every quarter we meet and we write a report. We give it to the our financial report. We are th- about the plan. We are transparent, open book. So the ward councillor takes it up, knock on the door. This is my this is what I've been doing in my area in in ward development. I need some funding. Can you support me? So that's how we build this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's said that the characteristics of, of an entrepreneur include determination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thinking creatively. Exactly. Being able to get on with people um, and knowing the rules, as it were, and then inventing new rules. That's right. It yeah. seems to me, listening to you, that you're all of those. It's been a delight talking with you, Martha. Thank you so much indeed for coming in. Thank you very and, much. And uh, I look forward to further conversations with you. Yes. Thank you very much for this time. And yes, I look forward to more conversations as well. And I thank you all who have been listening. And I look forward to the next time. Until then, this is Richard Gordon saying goodbye. Bye. Bye.